The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. I'm delighted to be joined here on the show now, though, by Mairead McGuinness, the EU Commissioner for Financial Services, Financial Stability and Capital Markets Union. Mairead, you're very welcome to the show and thanks a million for taking the time to speak to us. I know uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the Commission President and the uh, Head of the Council, Charles Michel, in Kiev today for these talks and this summit with the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. And a few different things about that I want to talk to you about, which is the, the possibility or the prospect of fresh sanctions. Um, do we have any detail on that? Do we know what they might be? No, we don't. And good evening, Kieran, and happy to join you. I mean, with all our sanctions packages, and this would be the 10th, uh, there's a lot of discussion across the member states. So there's really little point in talking about what might be in the 10th package. It's really important to reflect on what we've done. Um, and I think it, it's perhaps not fully understood the scale and depth of the last nine sanctions packages. So 2022, we rolled out nine of these uh, ever, you know, more deep and more impactful sanctions. And we will do a, a, t- a 10th package, but we have to concentrate on implementing fully. And because this is the first time that Europe has rolled out uh, these uh, depth of sanctions uh, and the breadth of sanctions, we really have to work hard with our member states who have different capacities to deal with these things. Now, we've we've sorted out a lot of problems because this involves a financial system, um, companies who are trading uh, goods and services, um, and there's a huge willingness to do the right thing by uh, Ukraine and not to uh, circumvent. Uh, But we have to answer lots of questions. So let's wait and see uh, for the details of the 10th package on the 24th. Sadly, uh, the first anniversary of this horrific Mm -hmm. war. Um, And to some extent, every time we have rolled out another sanctions package, it is to I suppose hit home to Russia that we mean business in our support for Ukraine and that if you are going to be the aggressor to invade a country, uh, he wasn't invited in and he he went in with uh, and has inflicted horrors uh, both Mm. in terms of human uh, lives and also the destruction of Ukraine, that you have to be accountable for that and there are consequences to it. So we're not doing this alone with uh, Mm. the European Union. We're working with the United Kingdom, the US, Japan, Canada, Canada and like-minded allies. And I think it's the weight of all these sanctions together that will over time deepen and have severe impacts on the Russian economy. They're definitely going to have problems accessing technology, uh, accessing their central bank assets. Yeah, I I do want to ask about that, about the effectiveness. I mean, how much concern is there that they are finding not entirely ways to get around them, but but some ways to get around it. There was an interesting piece in the New York Times a couple of days ago about the, it, it, it's such an oddity, but it, it kind of tells a story. The value of smartphone imports into Armenia has increased tenfold in the last twelve months. And it's not because Armenians are suddenly using lots of iPhones. Yeah, but I think you you hit the, the the point here. We're looking at trade flows, so we will be doing forensic examination of all of these things with our allies to detect things that are unusual. Um, I, I've also visited some third countries to to talk about some areas which are definitely not explainable by normal trade. Uh, so remember that the more we put pressure on Russia, the more they will look for avenues to circumvent. They are hungry for um, you know chips uh, and technology. 
Um, we're trying to starve them of those, but they will try and work with others to get access to them. And there are also countries who want to support Russia in this regard. So they're not helping us in terms of what we are doing by way of sanctions. But we have now uh, an international sanctions envoy, uh, David O'Sullivan, who's just joined us. And it will be his task to do the forensics on this, working with the US and others, and to be out in third countries explaining why uh, these things are happening and the impact of what they're doing. So it's no surprise that uh, Russia would try with others to circumvent what we're doing. I mean, people do say, oh, you know, sanctions are not impacting at all. And this is not the case. But Mm -hmm. sanctions impact over time. So you'll see, uh, as I mentioned, with technologies, when there are spare parts needed and Russia can't get them, they will try wherever they can to find these pieces. So I think we have to be patient. Um, and, and also, remember what we're dealing with here. I mean, we were coming out of COVID in January of 2022, reasonably confident that the world was looking brighter. And, and to say that the world went into a shock on the 24th of February when this invasion happened. And when I was in Kiev yesterday, you're meeting these government ministers who are continuing to act as a government and do the normal you know, duties of government while all the time trying to um, do it within a mm. war um, atmosphere and a war reality and they're human as well. Some of the ministers I spoke to in Kiev yesterday have small children and they're in Poland with with grandparents and you know you you talk about the big policy issues and then you realise the personal side of all of this is is terrible Um, you know for for people who are in government and indeed for the citizens of Ukraine who've had to leave their home. So it is is a very frightening reality. Mm. I I think it really hits home when I was there yesterday. Uh, It is quite surreal to be in a country, a vast country with huge potential that are, you know, really trying to push back against a massive aggressor. Uh, They are doing their level best then to maintain some sort of normality within their country. And they're also looking, of course, to uh, be part of the European Union. And part of our discussion yesterday was around how they can and what they need to do uh, to be on the path towards being members of the European Union. How long a journey realistically is that? Well, I think you're right to ask how long. I don't think I'm going to put a date on it. But I think, you know, our Ukrainians' friends understand that it it isn't an overnight thing. Mm. Now, they're working hard and certainly, you know, you could understand why they're saying we want to be members and we want it to happen very rapidly. Uh, But there is a lot of work to be done within Ukraine itself, and they know this, around a whole range of policy areas. I mean, I think it is interesting that in the area of um, corruption and, you know, money laundering and these um, financial crimes, if you like, They've already taken significant steps and I think that's really positive. But in other areas, whether it's environment or climate or all sorts of policies, they will have to do a lot internally. Mm. And yesterday, um, you know, it was much more than just being there and, and, and being present. We went through over 20 files, uh, specific areas, as I mentioned, some of them already, transport, agriculture, culture itself. And, and these areas where um, we're trying to, um, I suppose, align Um, Ukraine with what we've done in the European Union, mindful that they have a long journey to travel and they're doing it against the backdrop of a war. Yeah. I mean, it is it is going to be a one year. I mean, we'll mark this horrible date of the 24th of February with a, a new sanctions package. But also, you know, resolving to say to Ukraine that they're not alone because it, it, it is a very traumatic place to be. 
Um, even though there was no sirens playing yesterday, I think there were today, um, quite a lot of them all over Ukraine. We didn't experience that. But you were very conscious with the security briefing, the protective equipment you had, that this was not normal. Um, yeah. And yet we are trying to do normal things with our, our, our colleagues uh, from well, Ukraine. And when you express you know, frustration with you know, third countries continuing to do business with the Ukraine. How much frustration is there in particular with China? I thought it was interesting the incoming Czech president talking about how China's not an enemy, but certainly not a friend of Europe. Well, look, I mean, frustration, my frustration isn't the issue here. The issue is to understand who's doing what and why. Um, Remember also in times of war, people will try and profit and and that's the tragedy of it. What we have to do is make sure that there is an awareness that if you break our sanctions, and this will be part of a, a very new proposal, it will be a crime. So there will be penalties attached to that. Um, The issue then with third countries whom we may trade with, we have to be very firm and say, look, um, if you're working with us, then you cannot go against us and against Ukraine by allowing circumvention. But it does take forensic work uh, to make sure that you track uh, what's happening. Um, And, you know, when people are under pressure, as Russia is, around access to technologies and indeed their, their own central bank assets, they will go to all sorts of lengths to try and get around what we're doing. So we're mindful of all of that. And um, because to some extent Europe has never had to deal with as large um, a sanctions regime, uh, we are working hard with the member states. It is at the member state level that the implementation has to happen. It's probably in third countries you may find deeper circumvention happening. So we will also be having a, a very big event here to draw together national experts and others to understand one year later where are the problem areas? What's working? Because in some cases we had companies de-risking. So they weren't sanctioned, but they felt they wanted to get out of Russia. You had some financial institutions making a decision that it was no longer good for them that they would stay in Russia. So we've had that effect as well as the actual sanctions we've imposed. And can I ask, when you talk about the the ramifications for the Ukrainians, and that's, of course, where they're most acute. Of course, Europe's dealing with you know, um, uh, the the fallout in terms of refugees. And you, and you see that, you see the kind of the, 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 the increase in anti-refugee sentiment here as much as anywhere in Europe. How much pause does that give policymakers well, like yourself? Well, I suppose the first thing is in the early days, um, you know, many millions left Ukraine and many returned because people would prefer to be in their home country. But there's about four million that are displaced temporarily, we hope, and that can go back. I think on the wider issue of your question about protests, I mean... It's a, it's, it's a terrible thing to see another human being use such abusive language as I, I watched on social media. I, I'm not in Ireland. I haven't been in Ireland for a few weeks, but I, just to catch up and see what's happening there. I mean, it's a tragedy and it's just wrong to do that because refugees are people who have no hope at home, who don't want to have to leave their place of birth and want to go back. And they're looking for a bit of peace and understanding until that time happens. Um, And of course, you have to try and um, dissect where there are people who have genuine concerns about services and others who are just... Are just, I suppose it's 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 uh, it's. It, I don't know what word I would like to use. Maybe I won't use a word at all. But it's, it's, it's horrible to watch. It's, well, it's just horrible to watch some of the bad language, you know. And you think like, how can there be such mm. hatred from one human being to another that don't the, the people that I saw using the bad language and offensive remarks and you know threatening, they don't even know 
the, the, the person on the other side. H- how can you have that hatred for somebody yeah. who's actually, you know, they'd rather be at home. I mean, I think if we thought about that more, then we would understand better the sadness that there is uh, in Ukraine. As I mentioned, some of the ministers I met yesterday, they have children who are outside of Ukraine with grandparents. And you could see it, uh, you know, visibly that they're very upset that they don't have, they miss birthdays, for example. One man was telling me he's missed his three children's birthdays and they're little things but they're very hard I mean if you're broken up from your family and you're not sure what's going to happen next or when you'll all be together again in normal times I mean that's a heavy weight on people if that's added to by aggression from a small few I mean I always make the case that it is those who shout the loudest and are the most abusive that will get airtime but there are many 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 more people in Ireland and elsewhere quietly doing good and being, you know, doing what, what what's in everyone's heart, which we should do. Just do good. Get on with it. Help people um, rather than turning nasty. Um, and it is a pity to see any of this happen. And maybe there will be a reflection now as to how we deal with this. And we just have to push back and say this is unacceptable anywhere in any country against people who are fleeing and in fear. Mairead McGuinness, EU Commissioner for Financial Services, Financial Stability and Capital Markets Union. Mairead, an absolute pleasure and thanks a million uh, for joining us here on the show. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.